We'll just talk about it. Okay, this is Cassandra. You know, she just said she's a new on our stuff. She said, you said that, right? You're I new on stuff? Okay, well, I'm going to introduce you properly then. Okay. Okay, so Cassandra left a really, really good job to take a really, really good job. Everybody understand? Okay. Um, she's one of the sharpest people you'll ever meet in your life. If you haven't yet met her, you do want to meet her. You will feel like, wow, this is a person who can get stuff done. And let me just tell you, already, we're already feeling her impact in terms of our ministry. And, and there's just, it's amazing. You're already doing a great job. And um, we have great, great hopes for the future. We're excited about what she's doing. So if you haven't yet met her, make sure you say hi to her. She's going to, you know, making sure all this, she's behind the scenes, which are, she's like the guy behind the guy behind the guy. You know, she's kind of pulling everything together here on our campus. So say hi. Make sure she feels like, you know, you appreciate all that she has um, begun to take on for our church. I'm really grateful for you. It's going to be a great season of ministry together. That's Cassandra. You can tell you love her. There you go. All right. <clears throat> Good to be with you guys. Um, I know that there was, you know, today it was incredibly perilous for you to get here at church today. There was like a puddle somewhere near your house. And <clears throat> thank you. I know some of you put snow chains in the trunk just in case something happened. But uh, grateful that you guys made it. Very glad that you're here. If you're new with us, we say a lot around here that we're a group of people who are trying to figure out how to follow Jesus and love other people. And, you know, truthfully, none of us does that perfect at all. And uh, we also say we don't have all the answers here. So if you're a, a person looking for someone to tell you all the answers or expecting us to have all of them, we really don't. Um, but we do believe that life's biggest questions, at least in some way, point us toward the person of Jesus. And we're, we're really serious about that. Hopefully you get the sense that we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we do really, um, we do our best to center our lives around Jesus. Um, as Cassandra mentioned, we had on Thursday night, we had our first, our first service and um, our first Thursday night service. It was so much fun. And I have to tell you, you know, I, I, I used to, I don't as much anymore. I used to get emails from people saying, you know, the music is kind of loud on Sunday morning. <laughs> you do not know loud. Let me just tell you. It's all these, like, college-age folks. It's Danica, who, you know, is our worship leader this morning, and um, all of her really cool friends who are leading, all these volunteers who are, like, 18 to 25 years old, and they just rip. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, should my ears be bleeding right now because it's so loud? And she's like, yes. I'm like, good, because that's what I wanted when I came here. I wanted to make sure I had like facial pain from the sound, and I did, and it was, here's why I loved it. One of my greatest fears in my life is um, having people hear me sing. <laughs> so the fact that I could scream and yell and nobody could hear me was like the best. It was like the greatest thing in the world. So it was really, really fun. We had a lot of folks. We, you know, we really kind of blew away our expectations in terms of how people were going to show up. If you fall into that kind of category loosely, you're 18 to 25, or you kind of feel like you are, then you probably could show up. If you don't mind it loud, I never want to hear an email from anybody fr from that service going, it's loud. That just is if you think that, probably come back on Sunday. All right, but it is. It's a great time. We had an unbelievable turnout. We had just a number of folks who were excited about it. We had a cereal bar afterwards. That was like that was like our post service little snack. Which, think back for a second. If it's been a few years since you've been in college, it's only been a few for me, just a little bit. Um, but think back in college. You're like, when was cereal ever a bad idea, or when was it ever a time of the day where you thought cereal would not be awesome right now? And so we had cereal. It was like it was it was great. So people hung out. We got all kinds of stuff happen. Anyway. Very cool. Um, that 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 has um, off and running. We're, so every Thursday night, seven o'clock, we're in here. It's great. Um, we are starting a new series right now. It's called Transformed. And um, if you've been around with us for a while, you've heard that we our belief is that every person in the room has a desire to see their life look a little bit different. Unless you're like a full blown narcissist, you pretty much are like you know. There's some probably some rough edges I could work out in my own life. There's some things that I ought to kind of figure out how to get better at or be better, whatever it is. But the truth is that most of us, if we're really, you know, if we're really honest, we really don't know how to do that. We've tried willpower. We've tried, you know, some kind of 
negative reinforcement. We tried people holding us account. Whatever it is, we don't really know what we're supposed to do. We know we want change, but a lot of times we're trying to figure out how do we actually get, we don't have the means to actually become different people. I mean, think about even in terms of your, whether you're in your own career, there's some things you might want to change. There's some relationship things you might want to change. There's some parenting things for those of you guys who are parents. There's some school things for those of you guys who are in school. There's stuff about our own health, our own physical well-being. There's things that we go, I wish I could look or feel or be a little bit different. I need transformation, but I don't know how. Now, there's a belief about ourselves that because things are out of order, because they're not exactly the way that they should be, we have a belief that if we could get things the way that they're supposed to be, then we would have the thing that's incredibly elusive for us, which is peace. If everything could be as it's supposed to be. So imagine your life just as best as you can for a moment. If you, you imagine your life probably like we all do. If everything was as it's supposed to be, then I would finally find that thing that I cannot find, which is peace. Because we live with that low-grade anxiety, that sense that things are kind of not as they ought to be. We want and we desire for things that are chaotic or out of order to be made right. Because we know there's not 100% rightness about us. So we look for peace. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at this letter this guy Paul writes to this, um, group of, this group of people in a church in Rome. These are all Christians and they're, they're people who follow Jesus. And the essence of this particular letter is actually transformation. And it's a, it's a really challenging book, to be honest. And I think... If you're new to church, this is what Christians will say about this letter, this book to this, um, these people in Rome. It, they'll say that it's, it's really deep. It's like a super deep writing. And what they actually mean is, I don't understand it. I just don't know what it means. But it's mysterious, and I'm about the mystery of God, and that's what it is. Okay, it's really, really hard. And I want to tell you, some of the things he actually, the Apostle Paul writes, it, even if his opening is like, whoa, that's kind of harsh. Not really politically correct. You get yourself in trouble for saying that stuff. And it's like, wow. I mean, it's really tough. Now, I don't want to tell you. Every so often, it's pretty important for, if you're new with us, we're a community of people who believes that we ought to kind of dive into some of the things that make us a little bit uncomfortable, that are a little bit challenging, that are hard. And so this is going to be that series a little bit, just to kind of, you can strap your seatbelt on and know what's coming. But it is going to be really, really great. I think as we talk about this series, we're only going to take a look at four chapters in this book of Romans, this letter to the church in Rome. Take a look at four chapters. Uh, five, six, seven, and eight. And I would say probably nothing more in terms of its impact, more critical for transformation than maybe those four chapters in the Bible. I mean, it's really, it sums up a ton about what it means to be a transformed person. Now, um, the surprising thing is we're going to find as we walk through this is that transformation is probably different than we've ever imagined it. It is going to be more dangerous and more difficult and more fun and more exciting than you ever probably thought about it in your life. So today we're going to get that started. We won't answer every question in this, like I said at the beginning, but we won't answer every question in this series. But we're going to kick it off hopefully today in a way that gets us motivated to keep kind of considering all of what God's doing. All right? Let's pray. We'll jump into today's message. We'll get right to it. Jesus, every one of us in a moment of stillness could acknowledge the reality that we need things to transform in our lives. There are things that have been broken. There are things that are broken. There are things in our lives that we continue to go back to that are promising to give us a whole lot of life, and they're just simply leaving us empty. So Jesus, as we consider those things today, would you work in us? Father, as um, many of us are sitting here, would you just help us, Jesus, for just a moment, to take an inventory of our own soul? Jesus, would you remind us of the things in our life that maybe we've been okay with, but that really do need transformation? So Jesus, for just a moment, would you speak to us? and your tender and powerful and compassionate love about the things in our lives that maybe aren't okay, that need a little transformation, Father.
Jesus, we call upon your power in the name of Jesus. We call upon your spirit that we might be transformed by your compassionate and powerful love today. In your name, Father. Amen. All right, when you guys came in, you got this bulletin on the back of it is our outline. If you are with us last week, last week we had the, actually the bottom of the outline tore off. So you had to like leave it here if you wanted to get any information about stuff. We actually solved that problem. As Cassandra mentioned with the text messaging thing. So hopefully that will help you to be able to keep the entire outline. And we're in a process of trying to simplify and move the things to be a little bit cleaner and easier. Eventually, hopefully, we'll be able to have a really kind of workable digital outline and bulletin so we don't even have to, you know, just be, be really simple. But it's right there. So as you're kind of getting that stuff ready, we're going to be, by the way, in Romans 1 and in Romans chapter 5 today. If you want to look in your own Bible, you want to follow along, however you want to do that, great. Uh, whether you want to get your own Bible out or you want to follow along in an app or something, very cool. All right. Now, let me ask you guys a question. This is what this is. The, this is I actually do need feedback here. So um, let me ask you, what are things in your life, in your childhood, that you had a very strong attachment to? You had your things that you were like, man, I am just, I have to go everywhere with this thing. It matters all the time. What was it? Blanket. Last, last, sir, last service, someone said blanket, and I, I honestly thought they said Viking. I'm like, Viking? Like, you know, I'm sorry, honey, the Viking can't come with us to dinner tonight. You have to leave the Viking at home. Oh, but I love the Viking. It's my Viking, you know. Okay, but yes, leave it home. So blanket. Did you, who said blanket? Okay, what, what, did you have a name for your blanket that was other than blanket? What was it? BB. Sweet BB. Just snuggle right up to BB. Just rub it on your face. I love you, BB. Right? Anybody else have a blanket that that went everywhere with them? No. Someone said no. No, I did not. How dare you? This is offensive, and this is a hard church to be at because you say things that are challenging for me. And no, I did not have a blanket. Next question. <laughs> okay. Uh, anybody have an animal or something like that that they had with them? Yeah. What was, it, was it, what was it? What kind of animal was it? Um, yeah, you, you. You won. You win. So congratulations. It's a teddy bear. What was the teddy bear's name? You didn't name your teddy bear? How shameful for you. It's hard to be in this place without naming. Anybody have a stuffed animal that they did name? What? Teddy? See, you weren't really clever as a child. I mean, you had a teddy bear, but, you know. <laughs> That came later, you know, like much later. The idea, you know, okay, good. You had a teddy bear. My daughter has a blanket that looks basically like a net. Only the parts that were supposed to hold the blanket pieces together are still there. You know, I don't know how we wash that thing. Because if we do, it will just disintegrate into like nothing. So, you know, we're like, maybe we should freeze it like once a year to kill all the bacteria and disease that lives on that thing. It's gnarly. And it's like, it's a big deal if we can't find that thing. It matters, you know. Anybody else have something? A pacifier. Yeah, but that's like kind of, you're too young. I mean, how old were you when you had that pacifier? Yeah, okay. Three is pretty old, but it's not like you were 13. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay, so three. I get three. Anybody else have anything else that you're attached to? Yeah, go. A rocking horse. Like a rocking horse. Or just like, give me a little, ro yeah, yeah. Okay, rocking horse. How did you take a rocking horse with you places? You, you tied it up, like in case someone tried to steal it? Great. We have a need, evidently, in our lives from the time we're very, very young, to form an attachment to things. We ascribe a value to something, and then we make it awesome. We figure out a way that this has become something that matters to us. It's one of our earliest and most like, critical impulses in our lives. Is not simply to be loved, but is to attach a value to something and build our life around it, no matter what that looks like. Now, as we get older, that, sort of, that, that same impulse really doesn't go away. We just put it onto other things. So when we're little, it's, you know, the cleverly named Teddy or the, the unnamed Teddy Bear, you know, this sort of, this, that, or the BB or whatever else it might be or the Viking. 
whatever it is in our lives, that we, be, we start, we have, we've ascribed some value to those things, we've attached ourselves to those things, really attaching something is just simply a picture of love. And then as we get older, we begin to transition our attachment to other things. Here's, in fact, another way I would think about, about, um, about attachment. The things to which we attach ourselves form the essence of who we will become. Some of you are like, oh no. I know. How many of you guys, by the way, that thing you had when you were a little kid, you still have it. Admit it. Admitting it. We're all a friendly environment of confession and friendliness and compassion. Okay, great. Good. we got a support group for you guys afterwards. <laughs> the things to which we attach ourselves form the essence of who we will become. The question we'll wrestle with, at least today, but carried on throughout the series is this one. Which to which things have you in the past or are you presently attached? Not the things that you wish you were attached to. <laughs> But the things to which you are attached, because they are literally shaping the kind of person you are becoming. And more specifically, when we talk during this series, the way in which we talk about transformation, I want to give you a definition of transformation that's a little bit different probably than you've seen before. And it looks like this. Transformation is the result of transitioning our attachment from one thing to another. You are already a person who is made for, at the very beginning of your life, to begin to attach to certain things. And what we're going to wrestle with over the next couple of weeks is this idea. The transitioning of our attachments, attachment from one thing to another. Which means a letting go of something and a taking on of something else. Th this transition process is among those dangerous, difficult, challenging, adventurous in our lives. And it is about letting go of something to attach to something else. Now, as we talk about this, I want to give you just a little bit of a background into the, as we talk about this book of Romans, this letter to this church. There is a word that the Apostle Paul uses a bunch. In fact, it comes in two forms in his writing, and he's going to use it both ways in the writing we're going to read today. But you need a little bit to understand it. Here it is. This word is the word in Greek, boom, dikaiosune. You've probably heard us say this before. It's kind of a, it's a big word. It shows up. Jesus teaches using this word a lot. It is the state of being, one who is as they ought to be. So a righteous person has understood that they were created or intended to be a certain way, and then they are that way. So our own belief about ourselves is if we were the kind of people who were as we were intended to be, then we would have this outcome, this peace we talked about a little bit ago. Now, the same root word, he uses a different, it's the same root word, but a different word in English. The means by which one is made right is called justification. But they're the same word in Greek. Does that make sense? So you're going to see the way Paul talks. There is a way in which people are that they ought to be. And there is a way in which those people become that. That's called justification. Right? So you'll see him use these words. I just want you to capture this as the same word in Greek. Okay, as we get to this picture. Now, he's going to talk about, he's opening up this letter. He's going to give you kind of the theme of all of his entire letter here today. And then we'll kind of jump into chapter 5. So check this out. Here's how he opens his letter. I'm obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and, the, and to the foolish. And that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to all, also to you who are in Rome. Now, let me just tell you what this means really quickly. When he's, there's some debate about this. But the idea between Greeks and non-Greeks is simply this, simply this. Greeks are understood, this is an idea of what we'd say sort of civilized, cultured people. They have a theater. They have institutions and colleges and sports. and all this kind of, So this, he's talking about people who have kind of this sophistication and culture. And he talks to those who don't have that. That's why he reiterates with wise and the foolish. And he's saying basically, I'm talking about this message to everybody. And he says, he uses this word gospel, which simply means good news. I have a great thing to tell all kinds of people is what he's saying. 
16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, this good news, because it's the power of God that brings salvation or a rescue to everyone who, who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness, remember this is the way things ought to be, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What you'll see over and over again, this is essentially the theme. If you want to know what Romans is about, it's this right here, 117. That there is something about God who gives to us a sense or a process, a way in which we can be the way we were intended to be, and that that process or that state of being comes through faith. And this is the process we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. In fact, as we consider all of what that means, we're actually going to frame it in the idea of attachment and transitioning attachments. But we have attachment issues. We are people of attachment. In fact, as you look at the story, if you want to just get the background of Romans really quickly, basically here's, all, here's what it looks like. Romans chapter 1, he'll continue after that verse. He'll start talking about the things to which people have attached themselves, which gave them no return, which left them empty and broken. And he'll talk about the way they, these people would kind of spiral, it's kind of like a brief history of sin, essentially. How do people spiral themselves out of control? And the attachments that they have there. And then chapter 2 is all the people that kind of thought they were more superior because they got to judge all the people in chapter 1, essentially. He then says, chapter 2 people, get over yourselves. You're no different. Stop judging these people. We're all, and then chapter 3 he'll kind of say, we're all in the same boat. Every one of us has attached ourselves to things that have promised to deliver on all kinds of results but have left us empty, confused, and alone. And then in chapter 4, he'll kind of give you a little bit of a foreshadowing of the remedy. We'll talk about a guy who lived by faith, a guy named Abraham. And now we get to this place in chapter 5 where we'll start addressing some big issues. Now, let me get to this first. We do have attachment issues. We start out, like I said, we start out as little kids with some kind of need to make attachment. We make and form a relationship with something. We give it value. And then we kind of grow up a little bit and that kind of goes away, right? Don't have that anymore. My, uh, my 7-year-old son for his 7th birthday got a... Uh, a, like a piano keyboard. He doesn't play the piano, but he has a key with what he really wanted. So he wanted to make all those cool sounds that piano keyboards can do, like so it can sound like a dog or sounds like drums or it sounds like people's voices just, oh, 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 oh. You know, like, you heard this before. I mean, it's like, that's exactly what it sounds like. And yes, I know that was awesome, so you're welcome. But, I mean, he, and now, it doesn't matter if he's playing it or not. If someone else in my family goes upstairs and he thinks he can hear, like, those sounds coming from his room, He'll bolt upstairs. Hey, I was playing that. It's like, no, you weren't. You were eating dinner or whatever it was. You were like, you were down the street riding a skateboard with your friends. No, no, I was playing it. I need to ride back. He's got this attachment, right? We're kind of like, okay, but we're going to break you this a little bit. Because now we're so sophisticated. We don't have those kinds of attachments to things like that. We just don't have that. I mean, we're older now, right? Everybody do me a favor. Right now, take out your wallet and hold it. And pass it right up here into my pocket. No, just kidding. Just, but take out your wallet. Dude, take out your wallet. Seriously, take out your wallet. Hold it in your hand. If you don't have a wallet, I want you to take out your super awesome phone and unlock it. Okay? So if you got a super awesome phone, use your thumbprint or your magical code or your retinal scanner or whatever how awesome your phone is. I don't know how awesome it is, but do whatever you got to do. Okay? Take, take it out. And here's what I want you to do. Okay, you got it? I'm, this is, I'm really serious because you're going to prove how unattached you are because you got this. I want you to hand that to someone who is not known to you. Don't give it to your wife or your husband. Like, oh, here. Give it to someone you don't know and let them hold it. Let that person hold it, your unlocked phone. They are going to buy so much stuff on Amazon you don't even know right now. 
they are going, I mean, they are going through your wallet and they are taking pictures of your credit cards. And they're going to buy, yeah, I'll hold your phone. Yeah. Sweet. Wow. Can I look at your pictures? Would that be all right? I got someone's phone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now. Now. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about attachment. Now, if you've just been handed someone else's wallet or phone, I want you to do your best to put it in your own pocket. Do it. I'm being totally serious. If you have a purse, drop their wallet in your purse. Just do it. See how it feels to hold someone else. I know the people around you are like, is that guy, he's, you better not. Listen, I know I saw what car you parked in. I know where you are in the parking lot. I will meet you out there, bro. Okay, do it. Now, there is within us, some of you are like, okay, when's it over? When are we, okay, it's <laughs> really fun. This is really cool. <laughs> Man, I love our church. <laughs> some of you are like, I'm never, this is the worst. The worst thing that ever happened to me. Okay, now, hold on. I want you just for a minute to listen while I talk about attachment. Okay. There is a sense in us that says, wow, you know, I am kind of attached to some stuff. It doesn't have any real intrinsic value, but now it sort of matters. It sort of matters that someone else is holding this thing. And really, I would feel much better, and I would, I would be a much better Bible student if I could have that back in my pocket now. I get it. <laughs> Hang on. Don't give it back yet. What we start to believe, perhaps, is that if we, were, if we were in some way able to unvalue everything, to undervalue, to say nothing really matters, then it would, we'd have this peace, right? If I didn't value, if I didn't care at all, it wouldn't matter. Is that what we ought to do? Somebody like, I don't care. Give me my stuff back. <laughs> okay, you can give each other stuff back. I know you're like dying. You can't hear another word I'm saying anyways, right? I'm a, yeah, I'll give your phone back. You've earned it. Good job. You sat in the front row. You get your one. All right. Now, to put it another way, how many of you, just by show of hands, I won't ask you to come up here and sit, you know, say it into the microphone. But by the way, how many of you guys, admittedly, that was a little bit uncomfortable? Okay, good. Some of you are like, I'm fine. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I have no money. Or whatever it is. You know, whatever. <laughs> My phone's ready for an upgrade anyways. Keep it. I don't care. Blah, blah. Okay. All right. You're really cool. Now. How many of you, by show of hands, have ever in your life experienced such a painful breakup with someone that you said, literally, out loud, or to someone else, or you journaled it, or you just wept tears of it that said, I will never date anybody ever again in my life. It was just too painful. Oh, yeah, I did that. It was like, I'm never doing this again. You know what? I'm becoming a monk. I'm going to buy a van. I'm just never going to shave a be my beard. I'm going to, like, never take a shower. I just, I'm just going to, this is such a waste trying to be in relationships because they hurt too much. Because I put myself out there and I get hurt. And what ends up happening, not un, it's not uncommon, really, to varying degrees what people start saying is if I, because I really am looking for a thing in which I have no conflict in my life, if I could just find a way to literally detach from everything, if I could in some way disconnect if I could value nothing, then I would have peace. It's actually pretty common. You actually have this, some religions and some philosophies have this idea that if the best way to fully have a life that is together, the way that you intend it, is to detach from everything. And yet there's something kind of empty about that. There's something already within us that's an impulse to attach. And maybe there's something within us that God is already doing which has built into us a response to the world which says, I'm designed to attach, which is another way of saying love. I'm designed to attach to something. So what does that look like? 
first of all, warning. C.S. Lewis says this. It says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. To love anything, love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Teddy. Right? Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. And to love is to be vulnerable. Here's what he's saying. You were created for love. You are intended for love. You are created for attachment. And if in some way we kind of live a life that says, what if I just didn't attach to anything? If I just became an unattached everything kind of person? You block your own ability to be transformed. Remember what we're talking about is that we're transitioning our attachment from one thing that we gave value to to something else. And if in some way we say, well, I'm no longer going to attach to anything, then what we're saying is I am not going to be transformed at all. I will be this way forever. And so Paul will talk about this idea, this transformational idea in which we are made as we ought to becoming the people we were intended to become more and more. Let's check this out in Romans 5. Here's how it starts. Therefore, by the way, if you ever encounter this word in the Bible, the cheesy way to remember like what you should do with that word if you're like reading your own Bible is to just ask this question. What's the therefore, therefore, people who grew up in church somewhere knew that, okay? What's the therefore, therefore? I just did it for you. I gave you those four chapters of Romans really briefly. You always got to look at that. It gives you the right context for what you're reading. Now, here we go. Just a little side note there. Now, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Remember, justified is the idea of being made as we ought to be. We'll talk more about that in coming weeks. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember that when things are as they ought to be, the thing we're looking for in our lives is that we have a sense of peace. Some will say if you could unattach yourself from everything, you'll have peace. If nothing really affects you, if you're never really ever wounded or ever scarred or burned because you didn't attach, well, that's one way to do it. He's saying you're going to have peace through something else. You're going to have justification, being made right. We're going to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there is a way Paul is advocating for here in which people are going to have or get closer to this idea in which they're made as they ought to be. And it comes through this person of Jesus. Now, in this, though, there is a presupposition that there was a time in which there was not peace with God. In fact, the way to say it is this, the opposite of peace would be conflict, right? And that what's being suggested here is there was a time because of our own attachment idea in which we were not at peace with God. This is kind of unflattering. It's kind of a difficult word to use, this, this conflict. It's a word that, you know, you don't use a lot because it's really weird when you say it. People look at you like, are you allowed to use this word? And I'm, it's like, it's offensive in most contexts. It's this word right here. You, people, all of us, were born into a place, a state, in which we had conflict. We were born into conflict with God. That's a place called sin. And some of you are like, well, that's lame. Why would you say it that way? I mean, is there like another way to say that? Or can we try and find it just like things aren't the way they should? I mean, is there a way to say it? I don't know that there's a better way to say it. I think one of the great truths of life is that there are some things that are true but not fair. You, for instance, were born into a particular nation. 
most of you, I'm assuming, in the room, though not everybody I know, was born into the United States. You get all of the benefits of being a citizen of the United States. You get all the liabilities that come with it. You get all the pros and cons of being born into that nation. If you were born somewhere else, if you were born in you know, Kenya or you are born in Mexico or you are born somewhere else, you get all the benefits, liabilities, pros and cons of being born there, but you did not choose it. What the Bible will say rather uncomfortably is you were born into a place that you did not choose. You were born into a nation, a place of sin, of conflict with God. It is not fair, but it is true. And what the Apostle Paul is writing here is that there is a way to end, to bring an end to that kind of conflict. Now, some of you, again, are still like, dude, there are people who sin. I like, I'm like a minor. I have like a minor in sinning. Some people are like a major, you know, and so is mine really that big of a deal? Let me just <clears throat> tell you, you did not need lessons in how to become a professional sinner. No one, like, I never had to sit my kids down and go, hey, when your brother or sister, they, you know, when they, when they make you upset, just punch them. Really, Dad? How do I do that? Oh, you're just going to swell up with anger. You know, when you're really little, you can just bite them. You just, you just charge them with your fangs. I mean, that's like, you could kick them. You could use some language you're not supposed to use in our house. You could, you know, whatever. That was, nobody had to be taught that. It's part of our own nature to say, me first, mine first, everybody. It's, I, it's whatever it is, whatever kingdom, space, whatever I own, it's mine. And anybody else who opposes it, I take them out. That's not taught. We just already have that. And God says there's another way in which I want you to live. Paul will highlight it here in Romans 5. And he kind of gives us this sense here. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says this now. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast, which is to say, in other translations will say the word rejoice. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, so good is this news, Paul will say. That we rejoice in the glory of God. Let me just tell you what the word glory looks like in the, the Hebrew understanding. So in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, there is, glory really kind of gets translated mostly like this. The eminent power and majestic presence of God in our midst. Usually this is accompanied by smoke and fire. <laughs> so when you look at, the, you're looking, if you read the Old Testament, the Hebrew, you're looking through there, you're going to see stuff where it's like all of a sudden there was like, for instance, a burning bush. That's the, God's glorious presence amongst them, next to someone. You're going to see a pillar of fire. You're going to see smoke filling places. All these, They're going, this is God's glorious presence among us. Paul will say, we now have things that are kind of put to right in this person of Jesus through our faith in which we get to hold the rejoicing idea of that God is among us and with us. So good is this idea, Paul will say, that no matter what we come up against, we will still find a way to rejoice. Check this out. It gets a little bit crazy and even uncomfortable. It's like this. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we, because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, I have a problem with this passage, these two verses. Because in my mind, anytime I experience sufferings, I don't say, wow, that's so great. These are the things to which I pray to God, take them away because things are not in order and I need them to be in order and I know you bring order from chaos. My suffering feels like chaos and I just can't take it any longer. Clearly you've abandoned me. Now I want to point out, this is a little bit of a misreading. It's not that we also glory for our sufferings. It's that something is happening even in the midst of them. 
that no matter what it is that we face, no matter what we're up against, Paul will say, because of what God has done and he's in our midst, we can still be transformed. In fact, God will utilize whatever it is that we're up against that we might be transformed. And so we can say, glory, he's with us. It's not that we're grateful we encounter things that are difficult or challenging or cause us suffering. It's, we're, it's that we're able in the midst of those things to still point to Jesus' work in our lives. Verse 5. We could actually spend weeks on this, this passage anyways. But, and hope does, not point us, don't put, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want you to catch that God is moving at people in such a way that his own love is poured out to us. There is so much that God is doing in us and through us in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our trial. And we wonder, does any of it really matter? Is it really going to do, is it real, this just seems all so pointless. I'm sure there's lots of you who are walking through the most difficult times in your life. Some of you wandered in here today because you had no further answers and you're wondering, God, can you make any sense out of this stuff? Because it feels like God may have abandoned you. And I get it. I'm not really all that different, to be honest. But when I encounter people who manage to find what God is doing in the midst of suffering, it kind of turns a switch in my head. I want you to see the story of a woman from one of our churches, Mariners, to kind of talks about this in a way better than I ever could. Check this out. Thank you. 
God has never let me down, she says. He's only revealed himself in a more real way. And that's a, that's a person who was very alive in the video. Who said, I've been given a no-hope scenario, and yet you got the sense about this enduring kind of hope. That there's some kind of attachment there to which God is working in her life in such a way that she never could have experienced without that suffering. I do not understand that. It is something beautiful in that story. Paul will say, what I'm talking about here is about peace with God. Some of you have come in here wondering about some, a few little tweaks you want to do in your life to make things a little bit better. That maybe if you just kind of thought or moved or did something a little bit, there are just a little few tweaks. And what Paul's saying is maybe it's not just a few tweaks in your life. Maybe the biggest thing that you're up against isn't simply peace to make everything kind of feel a little bit better. But maybe what Paul's talking about here is that there is a something that's not quite right with you and God. Maybe you were designed for a different kind of attachment. The next verse in Romans. Paul will say the most controversial, bizarre, almost borderline anti-religious sentiment. These next three verses. He'll say something that absolutely revolutionizes the way in which we think about transformation. It will shape the way we talk about the rest of this series. And ultimately, hopefully, it shapes the way you imagine your own heart's transformational journey. I'll show you this verse and we'll talk about it. Here's what he says. Romans 5, 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, some translations have the word weak, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now a sharp person reading this will go, wait a second, it seems like he's saying that the we here and the ungodly here, those two things kind of go together. That's kind of bizarre. Verse 7. Very, it's almost like this is a parenthesis, by the way. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. This is kind of like saying, you know, there's the way to sum it up would be like, you know, the Secret Service will jump in front of a bullet for the president because he's worth it. But if you're kind of standing next to the president and someone pulls a gun, too bad for you. It's like, well, you know, you're not really worth it. We don't really, you have, there's a person of great value who should be rescued. We could, Paul's going to go, there might be someone who's worth it. And then Paul will say this. And it would be, if you're going to commit anything to memory, I think from today's message, this would be one you want to commit to memory. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The great and enduring message of Jesus isn't, let me show you a pathway to get yourself to be where you ought to be so then you can, well, you can be welcomed into my community of love. The picture of what Jesus does is completely the opposite from every other religious, religious or philosophical ideal in the world, which is this. While we were a train wreck, while we had everything that would point to us that says you are a nightmare, you have gone everything backwards, you are locked in conflict, God says, I have attached myself to you. I come to you. I, I pour out a loving attachment to you through the Holy Spirit in your life that you access by faith. It is not about you trying to figure out how to get your act together so that God will love you. That is not it at all. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. His own love is his attachment to us. 
Some of us are longing for a way in which we can make peace with God by changing the behavior of our lives so that God will then pour out his love on us. This says, you do not have your act together. You never did. But Christ came for you. At the greatest possible expense in his own life, he gave up everything for you. This isn't something that can be managed or dealt with. This isn't something we just kind of go, well, you know, I, I could kind of figure my way into that. No, no, no. Jesus just looks at us and goes, I'm attaching myself to you. Now remember, when we're talking about attachment, we're talking about, remember, think about that thing that you were attached to when you were a kid. That's something to which other outside observers would have said, that thing has no intrinsic value. But you look at it and you go, this is something of immeasurable, priceless value. Some of you have been told that you do not have value. Some of you have lived with the impression that you are not good enough to be valued at all. Some of you have messages that you've been living out in your whole life that you are trying to figure out, how am I going to make everything okay because I keep being told I'm never going to be enough. And God says to you, I'm attaching myself to you. I love you. My daughter, when we put her to bed and she doesn't have her blanket with her, if she can't find it, she it is like total peace and calm, sweet little girl, to tears and terror and running through the house and wear it, tearing up all every whatever it can be, finding it. And we're and we're like, we're, you know, Amanda and I are like, geez, if we could lose that thing, that'd be great. There's just so much, probably some foul disease on that thing that we just give her every night that she snuggles with. But when she finds it, all of the conflict, everything else that's in there suddenly ends. It's like this is the way it's supposed to be. The thing to which I am attached is now with me. This is the message of, this is the, message of the way transformation begins. It's the message of the gospel of Jesus, this good news Paul talks about. That things that have been separated have been brought back together. Jesus is not for the already, the wonderful and the already awesome. He's for us. Put differently, there's no greater attachment than love. There is no greater attachment than love. And there is no greater love than the love expressed in Jesus to us. He has attached himself to us for the purpose of bringing things back together that were intended to be together. The Bible word for that is the word reconciliation. I'll just give you a definition, that sort of working definition for me. It's this right here. Reconciliation is the re-togethering of separated things. That is what Paul will say. If you want to experience the transformation that God has intended for your life, that you begin this process that will, you know, will go on until we're in heaven. You ha the way that th this becoming the way we were intended to be, this making of things. In other words, the intention for all things being as they ought to be is that we would be reunited with God. And he says the way that happens is by Jesus' power through our faith. The re-togethering of separated things. That's what God intended. Here's what he'll summarize it. Verse 9. Since we've now been justified, remember this is being made right, by his blood, meaning Jesus' blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Verse 10. For if, while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? See the reconciliation theme going on here? 
the re-togethering of things. Verse 11, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The critical component of transformation in our lives isn't simply finding a new path. It's not finding a new way to think about things. It's not simply, no, no, no. The, The critical thing is that Jesus' love is poured out into your heart that you understand first and foremost, as we talk about this over the next couple of weeks, you understand first and foremost that God has attached himself to you through our faith, through his power, and that his intention is not simply to make us better behaved people, it's to re-together us to God. Now, we started the message with this kind of question. To which things have you attached yourself that are not delivering on the promise of giving you a peace with God? Is it a career? Is it a relationship? Is it an ideal about how you should look or how you should feel? Is there something about the relationships you have with other people? Is it a belief about what school you'll get into one day when you're applying to college? Is it a belief that you'll get the job that you always wanted or that you'll be recognized from? Is that all of what you're looking for to make everything right in your life? How is that working for you? Over the next couple weeks, we're going to spend some time talking about this. It'd be a great opportunity to bring your friends. Because our belief is that everybody has a need for change. We just don't know how. Let's pray together and then we'll respond with some songs and some prayer. Father, every one of us could identify things in our life that are in need of some transformation, in need of some help, some change. Father, my guess is that as we considered it at the beginning of the service, though some of those things are becoming more real to us. Jesus, I know some people may need, even as we respond in a moment, to come forward to pray with our prayer team, maybe to place a prayer in the prayer wall about some things that have become more important to us and have become things we've attached to that are actually inhibiting our ability to be transformed by you. Father, might you give us the courage to walk forward and receive prayer from people who will meet us in it. Let us know we're not alone. Jesus, as we sing these songs, would they be the sincere and heartfelt prayer of our own hearts? Might we put our prayer to music? Might we respond with boldness and courage? Jesus, might you begin in us this journey of transformation? Would you bring us to a place in which we are reattached to you for those of us who are far away? Might we say yes to this love in faith? So, Father, hear our songs as we pray them together in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. jealous for me, loves like a hurricane, I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy, and all of a sudden
Ocean away.